Hey listeners, before this week's episode, I wanted to share some exciting news. Many of you have reached out to chat personally about the business and how to move your career forward during this pause. This is important because auditions are happening again. In response, the Breakdown Podcast has created a four-week audition and business intensive called My Audition Appointment, all online. Each week, you're going to be given a different television or theater audition side, just like an agent would send. And each week, we're going to cover essential topics like how to get an agent, how to book at an EPA, everything you need to know about the Actors Union, and so many more. The intensive culminates in a showcase in front of three high-profile previous podcast guests where you get to meet them, get feedback, and ask them anything you like. Basically, get networking during this pandemic. I know we've all been out of work for literally ever, so the best part is, for this first intensive, the cost is literally literally, a fourth of what other comparable intensives are. For more information, head over to our website, thebreakdownpodcast.com, and click My Audition Appointment. All right, listeners, now on to the show. I'm Robbie, and this is The Breakdown. This week, I'm bringing you my conversation with two-time Olivier Award winner, Chakuti Iwuji, Chuck's theater credits include the title role in Othello for the public theater Shakespeare in the Park, The Low Road also with the public, which earned him an Obie Award as well as a Lucia Lortel and Drama League nominations, and as an associate artist of the Royal Shakespeare Company, so cool, he's received two Olivier Awards for his titular role as Henry VI in RSC's productions of parts 1, 2, and 3. Other stage credits include the titular role in the public theater's Hamlet, Evo Van Hove's Obsession opposite Jude Law, and Hedda Gabler opposite Ruth Wilson, who I'm obsessed with, both for the National Theater, the public theater's productions of King Lear and Anthony and Cleopatra, theater for a new audience as Tamburlaine, and the old Vic's Richard III directed by Sam Mendes. Chuck's television appearances include the Netflix series When They See Us, Designated Survivor, Quantico, Dynasty, Blindspot, Madam Secretary, and Doctor Who. Film credits include Netflix Barry, John Wick Chapter 2, opposite Keanu Reeves, Daniel Isn't Real, A Woman Apart, Now in the Wings of a World Stage, Exam, and Fall to Rise. He recently finished filming the second season of the Sundance TV and BBC series The Split, and will be seen in the upcoming Amazon series The Underground Railroad, and in the upcoming feature Mother. Also, the new TV show that he's not able to talk about in this interview was announced since we recorded, Chuck is going to be in HBO Max's Suicide Squad spinoff, Peacemaker. Chuck's resume is obviously incredible, the theater, the film, the television, but it's so well-deserved because of all the hard work and the determination, the insane talent, and the kindness that brought him to where he is. He shares so much of his journey with us and the mindset it really takes to get there. We talk about how we can't know exactly what gets someone a job, right? Like this is something we've heard from so many guests on the podcast. It's taste, it's subjective, and all those other things. But he does talk about the things that will keep you out of the running from getting the job. And these are the elements that we can control. Chuck beautifully explains that your day job and the things you do to make money to support your career as an artist and an actor is not separate from your pursuit of being an actor. Self-care is essential to being the best version of yourself when you go into these audition rooms. And when you go into the audition room, you are bringing every part of yourself in your life with you, not just your artist's self. You're bringing your day jobs, you're bringing your life and who you are, and that is what's gonna make you different and inevitably help you rise above and actually get the role. So embrace who you are, every single part of it. 
There is so much more to say about my conversation with Chuck. It's so inspiring and so exciting and a perfect conversation to share at the beginning of the year. So without further ado, here is my conversation with the incredibly articulate and kind and brilliant Chakuti Uwuji. Chuck, I'm so, so happy to be sitting here with you. And we can just continue talking about what we were, you know, talking about basically before I clicked record. So kind of that idea and exactly what you just said about everyone should understand those conversations and, and how little you have to do with it. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's surprising. I mean, I mean, my most recent experience with that was when I was about to play Othello in the park and I was hoping and they did. I didn't ask them to, but I was hoping they would when it came down to um, callbacks for Desdemona and Amelia, um, Heidi Griffiths reached out and Ruben Santiago Hudson reached out and said, would you come in? And, you know, it's not about chemistry because as actors, you should be able to have chemistry with anyone. It's not about that. I think those naming them chemistry reads are a real misnomer, but just to come in so they feel comfortable and they have an actor, they have the guy playing it so they can be at their most rehearsal like which is what auditions should be a sort of extension of your rehearsal and i was like absolutely and it was very interesting to me because we saw six desdemonas and six amelias and i could easily say i could i could pretty much say that we could have worked with any of them in those two roles there were two roles and 12 people came in and literally like if ruben had decided and Oscar was in there, had decided on this person as opposed to this one, I could have seen how it worked. That have all been very different Amelia's, all very different Desdemonas, and we could have made it work. And I sat there going, in the end, we, we went with the choices and they were brilliant and they were, they were the right choices, but there were so many right choices that could have been if the level is at a high level. And I think that's what you as actors have, we as actors have to understand is that we, we have our ability and, and even our audition has a, is, is such a tiny part of the whole piece. You know, um, it could be a very personal choice for the director. It could be a, a, they woke up that morning or the, the week they started conceiving of this with an idea. It could be um, matching you with the other people in the role. It could just be, and, it, and as it often is, it's just taste, you know, subjective. And it's that thing where the director is pulling his hair out or her hair out going, God, they're all so good, which is it? And I remember just thinking, thank God, I don't have to make the call. Because they asked me and I said, I love them. You know, I probably picked my three favorite in each role, but it could have been any of those three, you know? And I feel if actors understand their responsibility begins and ends with going in there and doing their job and doing an extension of the audition, not going in there to get the role, that's a real, fine difference. There's a real fine difference between going in there to get the role and going in there to do your work. If you understand that's all you can do and the rest is up to the acting gods, if you, I think we would be able to give ourselves a bit more of a break than we do. Because we always break it down afterwards if we don't get, what could we have done different? No, you couldn't have done it. You did what you did at the time. The only time it's our responsibility is when you know you've not gone in there and represented the work you've been doing properly. Then that's all right. But if you've done and done, gone in there and done your job, it's really important to experience either being a reader, or I was fortunate enough to be in the room, sat behind reading with them, to experience that and then to experience the conversations they have when you leave the room, to understand what goes into decision making. And it's not that you weren't good, 
it's not that you can't play this role. It's because of all these other factors. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know if you remember, remember back to that audition experience, but, you know, a, a question I like to ask casting directors and mm-hmm. maybe you in this situation is, what do you think or what are those conversations that put an actor from the six to the three to being the to being the one chosen? Like maybe... And the whole point of this podcast is kind of to talk about the business, not through rose colored glasses, like the mm-hmm. realities of what actually it is. And, you know, we hear everything from networking to connections to, you know, someone knows someone or someone, an actor reminds the director of their ex-fiance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the, boy, or, or the boyfriend or girlfriend that jilted you. Um, do you. Do you remember, like, what was it about that Desdemona or that Amelia that was it an acting choice? I can't tell you what will get you the job. I can tell you what will absolutely guarantee that you won't end up being in the running. <laughs> and one of the things that won't, you won't end up being in the running to give yourself a shot to fall into that hugely subjective category is if you're not prepared. I mean, there was one Amelia who just wasn't prepared compared to the other five. And that immediately, you're like, oh, thanks for making my job easier for me. I can get rid of one quick. Do you know, don't give them the easy out to eliminate you. And the biggest out to eliminate you is how prepared are you? So that's one. And the other thing I would say is Richard Jenkins. I had Richard Jenkins on. on I did this show uh, early COVID times of uh, called Founded in a Nutshell, where I invited guests on uh, to come on and do a, a chat for an hour about their careers and their lives and their work and their motivations. And then later on in the week, they come back and lead masterclasses. And one of my guests, we had some great guests on that. One of my guests was Richard Jenkins. And I remember two things he said. He said, um, because I adore him and we, we, we'd been at Sundance together for something and became firm friends. And I remember two pieces of advice he gave. He says, you're not obligated and you are enough. And it seems like so simple, but it's true. That if you walk into the room with a sense of obligation of, oh, they want this, so I'm going to give them this, or I need to give them this, or what are they looking for? I want to give it. I think that eliminates you slightly because suddenly you're, you're not coming in as a real colleague, potential colleague, or a real collaborator. You're coming in as someone who wants the job. So that's the obligation. And that, funny enough, eliminates you. And secondly, you are enough. It's really important that from the minute you walk into the room, at least you give me the impression that you have a strong sense of self. You know, I, I feel that's just immediately more interesting than falling into the beige that is the dozens and dozens of people they will have to see. What, what takes you away from beige into a color? And that's, you are enough, that sense of coming in with you somehow. Um, whatever that you is. And that immediately makes it interesting. Evo Van Hoek, well, you know, I did a, Evo decides if he's going to work with you within like 20 seconds of you being in the room. Literally yeah. that quickly. He hates the rest of the five or 10 or 50. He hates all, you know, it's, he knows straight away. And that is a sense of you coming into the room. So those are the two things I would say you have to have to give yourself any sort of choice. There is no, yes, it's, there's so many fickle reasons they know someone, I mean, especially now COVID, that people haven't been working for a long time. There are a lot of people doing jobs they probably wouldn't have done before, but they know the director, so they're getting the gig. There's that. There's how you look. Are you too tall for their leading man? Are you too short for their leading woman? Are you too, you know what I mean? It's all this 
you know, are you, is your voice right? You know, do you remind me of what I had in my head when I thought about this? Is this project being packeted by this massive agency? And are you part of that agency? As well? I mean, there's so many, so, but, and you can't control that. Let that go. What you can control is the things that you absolutely shouldn't do to, in order to give yourself a chance. And it's weird because I remember that audition, that one, and when I say not prepared, it wasn't like she was unprepared, but compared to everyone else, she wasn't as prepared. She wasn't off book. Everyone else was off book. Right. And especially that, that was kind of my follow up, you mm-hmm. know, question is, is like preparation. And yeah. clearly that was a callback situation. Yeah. That was a final callback. That was a final to come into a final, whether that's your third meeting or whether you skip the preliminary or you're coming in then you know, final callback, you're at your closest to ready to go. You have to show me that. Because I, you then interpret not being off book to so many things. Do you not want it? Yeah. What's your work? All these things are just, you're looking for a way to, to narrow the, the field, you know? And so don't give me an obvious way of saying, okay, it won't be you. Unless you're bloody brilliant at, at reading off the page. If you think you, actually, if you, think you can give, and I know I can't, if you think you can give as much reading of the page and that's your process never to be off book, then you better bloody be brilliant when you do it. You better not miss a beat when you do it. And I think that's very hard to do. Yeah. So you kind of just answered this a little bit, but so say you're going in for a play that you, I was going to say that you want to do, but ostensibly mm-hmm. if you're going in for something, you want the job, like you'll mm-hmm. take the job. Yeah. Um, are you, what's your process, I guess? Are you memorized for that first yeah, I, 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 I mean, yes. My, my answer is yes. I, I can't remember ever going into an audition not off book. Now, there are times you get there and then they throw something cold at you. Then fine, no one expects you to be you as off book as you can. But I've, I've never. I. That's my process. My process is to be off book. My process, not to show you, oh, I'm off book, is that's the only way I can play. I go into the first day of rehearsal practically off book, and that's rehearsal. I just, it's the only way I'm available. And there's nothing worse than that half place where you're kind of off book, but not. That's almost worse than just going in and reading it, you know? Mm-hmm. So I believe that a lot of people don't, and they're brilliant at reading off a page. There is a whole technique and school of reading off a page. But you will, and, and if you're good at that, great. I wish I were. I would, I would, I would get to sleep earlier before auditions than I do, whatever. But luckily, I... I can pick up lines pretty quickly. But beyond that, I think there's a whole school of people that are very good at that. And if I were, I would do it because that's completely secure. But I find more and more meetings now, um, they say, please be off book. You know, they, they tell you to that. And, and that's for a reason. They, they want your eyes. They want your eyes there. They want, your re- they want to see how you listen. You know, all those things that can only happen when you're not stuck on a page happen when, you, when, when the lines are in there. You listen and you react and... Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah, yeah. I I just, I feel like I can't. I loved what you said, though. I don't think I could have articulated it like that. They want to see how you listen. Yes, yeah. If you're reading it, if it's not your line, you're probably looking, looking down for your next line. Your next yeah. line yeah. is. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, you also want to be available and, and responding to what you're giving. So yeah, I, I'm totally in the same boat. Yeah. I, and there's some settings where it's, it, it is, they design it specifically to be a read because they're not, they don't really want to see it, but they want to meet you. They just want to get it. And I remember um, I'd met with Evil Van Hove. I'd met with Evil for Crucible 
and that was a normal audition setting. Heidi brought me in and did the audition off book, did the call. I hate callbacks. That's another thing we should talk about because I never understand what you're supposed to do in a callback. I can't pretend I'm doing this fresh because I've already done it for you. And you want to see more of the same because now Scott Rudin is in the room and you want to show him what I did before. So now I have to sort of this quasi repetition that isn't fresh, but it's callbacks. They do my head in. Although, look, I'd rather have them than not, right? But you go in, and uh, so I had the callback, and it went amazing. In the end, he didn't cast me for what we're talking about, subjective reasons, because there was a certain look of that group, that family of people he wanted. And when I saw the production on Broadway, it made sense. You know, it made perfect sense. I wouldn't have worked in that, in that um, uh, what am I looking for, in that sort of canvas that he created. And it was brilliant what they did with it. But he did say to the cat, to Heidi, that I'm going to use him. I like him and I'm going to use him. It was barely a year later, he was in town. And I just got a call overnight. Can you meet Ivo Van Hove tomorrow morning uh, for um, um, Hedda Gabler? He doesn't know whether it's Love Borger. He doesn't know whether it's, it's, it's um, Tesman. You know, he's one of the two. But just, just meet him. Don't worry about re- He doesn't care about, don't, it's a meeting and maybe you'll have a little read. And he, he just wanted to see you. He, just, he, he realized he was in town for like 24 hours and he wants to see you before he goes away and sees other people. He was casting all over the world trying to find his actors, you know. So yes, in that setting, I'm not going to go, I will read the play and be very familiar with it, but I'm not going to try and learn it because I don't know what he's going to ask me to read. I don't know if he's going to ask me to read or anything. And in the end, it turned out to be like more of a chat and a conversation and talking back to, and him going, I wish I had my notes from when you auditioned for me in Crucible. I just want to, compare you now to what I thought of my impressions of you, you know? So yes, there's certain, you gauge it. There's certain meetings that actually you shouldn't, if I had gone into that meeting ready to show him what I've learned because I spent the whole night learning the best speech for love, it wouldn't have worked. You know, you, you have to gauge, you have to be very clear when someone wants to sit down with you and chat with you and just decide, you know, and give them the room to do that also. So there's those kinds of meetings also. Yeah, yeah which are definitely which are definitely different. And when I've ever auditioned for not American directors, yeah. um, there's oh, it just feels like they're wanting to talk to you a little they bit They want more. to talk for like 45 minutes before any semblance right. of work happens. You know? American directors like, I don't know. Okay, great. Bye. Yeah. I loved you, but I, I don't want to give you more than five minutes. It's so weird. Yeah. I want to back up just a little bit because mm-hmm. I want to hear about your first, the beginning. I want to hear about the first few years, the early parts of your career. I was looking and I I know that you went to, you came to the States and you mm-hmm. went to Yale, but you mm-hmm. didn't study acting. You studied no. economics. economics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you went back to the UK right after. Yes. Well, I went to Yale. I did economics. Then I, while I was there, I did a show and the head of undergrad at Yale saw the show and offered me a scholarship. He was about to become the artistic director of the conservatory in Milwaukee, the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Yes. So he offered me a three-year scholarship. And I said yes, and I, you know, <laughs> a complete turn of events. And I went to Milwaukee and I trained and I did a couple of shows while I was in drama school, professionally at Theatre X and also the American Players Theatre. After my second year, they, I did a summer season with them. And then after I, when I graduated, I went straight in for another season with them. I think I did a production of Raisin in the Sun in Madison before that season, after that season. And then after that, I, I headed back to London. Um, yeah, so that was the path. And 
because I, I knew uh, in many ways that my journey would have to begin with the Royal Shakespeare Company and the National, because all my heroes of acting, that was their path. So that made sense for me to, to go back and do that. So I don't know if it's super similar, the process of getting an agent and all of that stuff in the UK as it is mm. in New York, but so you go back to the UK and then how did you? I was, yeah, I was very fortunate. While I was in drama school at Milwaukee, um, one of the guest lecturers was a wonderful classical actor, actress, um, actor, Lisa Harrow. Lisa Harrow came in to do a workshop with us and I remember I prepared the Lady Anne and Richard III scene with my dear friend Sarah, and we did the scene, and, and Lisa liked what I did and became a sort of um, mentor. And, and so when I was graduating, she said, should you choose, because she had a huge career with the Royal Shakespeare Company and, and National and all that, and she said, should you choose to go back to, to London, I'll introduce you to my management, my agency. So I had a gap somewhere around finishing at the American Place Theatre in Madison. I, I flew back to London and uh, I met with um, her agency and the agent there, Teresa Hickey, who sort of retired last year, took me on. She sort of saw me sight unseen, hadn't seen my work, but she got a vibe. That's what I mean. She got a vibe and we became, and I remember her saying to me, it's going to take about 20 years. And I, I went, oh my God. She goes, yeah. But she took she took me on. She we chatted. She asked me. I remember her first question is, "Who do you admire?" I told her who I admire. She went, "Oh, so it's RSC and National, and from there going on, you don't want to just go on to some, you know, soap or TV. You want to build yourself. So it's going to be the long haul." And she took me on, and I moved back to the UK. And the very when I actually I went back to finish up stuff here, and then when I went back to London, within a week of arriving, my first audition was with the Royal Shakespeare Company, and that's why I started. I booked that season with them, and that was the beginning of the season. But I was very lucky because of that connection with Lisa and because of the connection Teresa had with me. And she was my agent. She was my agent from day one and would still be my agent now. She didn't decide to take some time off just for herself after we've been together about 16 years or something, 17, no, more than that, 18 years. You know, but uh, yeah, so that's how it happened. But yeah, the process is the same as here. It's I I just feel very lucky I didn't have to do a massive mail out and, and all that stuff. And you know, all the stories of photographs and resumes being shredded the moment they arrive. I'm just, I, I just feel very lucky that I didn't have to experience that. And that my first job was with the RSC. So you sort of get your foot in the door straight away. And yeah, I guess they say, Part of being lucky is being ready. So I was ready. I was, you know, ready for it, but I, I was definitely very lucky. And, you know, something that is wildly important that we talk about a lot, that I talk about with other guests, is you also had a connection. Like you made this connection with this woman in drama mm -hmm. school who liked your work. She liked you as a person and then referred to, you know, referred you to Teresa. Yeah, and yeah. So you know, that's so much of how this all works. You know, people will ask me or email me like, how do I get an agent or how do I do this? And it's like, well, there's a hundred ways. A hundred ways. Way, but, yeah. you know, a lot of the time, some of the best opportunities and some of the best jobs come from knowing someone. Yes. And also I'll, I'll add a little caveat to that. Lisa wouldn't have taken an interest in me if she didn't like my work. Mm. So do your work also. Mm -hmm. And and when that 
other stuff, which is chance and luck happens, it's more likely to find you if you're doing your work. Does that make sense? So there's yes. a, there's a whole there's a whole thing of waiting for someone to discover you in a cafe or whatever. Do your friggin' work and find ways to work. Find ways to become better so that if they see you, they want. And you know it's weird. That's how Teresa signed me on. My manager here in the U.S., Meg Monomo, who's you know huge. You know, Meg signed me on again. She I I was over doing Richard the Third. And she didn't get to see Richard III, but I went for, she took a meeting with my agent, Teresa had flown over with me because she wanted to do all these meetings with me because we were thinking of the transition to America. And Meg went on instinct also. She was like, oh, okay, there's something about you. And she's my manager to this day and stuck with me. And again, like Teresa, she hadn't, she'd seen, maybe I had a bit of a showreel then, but she'd really not seen anything. It was purely by instinct, but it was being ready and prepared and bringing yourself into the room. Although I was slightly hungover because it was the morning after opening. But I think she liked that. She liked that I, despite the fact I knew the next day I was meeting a big eight manager, she liked the fact that I celebrated opening this show and I was living my life. She liked that quality about it, you know? So find a way in all that to still hold on to who you are, you know? Yes, absolutely. And it's so awesome to have the agent and it makes sense that you would if your agent is based in the uk that you would have a rep, you know a, a mm -hmm. point person here who mm -hmm. just has those who knows those people and to, to just also have someone here so um it, it makes sense that you would have that you would have both yeah and i guess you know in talking about representation it's obviously what we want we want some someone to just on a pure baseline level to be there to negotiate the contracts mm -hmm. you know someone that's that has your eye out for the breakdowns that's going to mm -hmm. submit you or, or keep you in people's minds or pick up the phone call and call casting directors and, and pitch you mm -hmm. but i wonder what you would say or what do you feel like an actor's job is to get work or procure work even when you have representation what are some other what are things that you can do I guess in the meantime. Absolutely. I, I, I always tell, I remember I'd done a massively successful season at the RSC in London. And then a couple of months later, I was working at Kenneth Cole selling shoes. And I, you know, and likewise, when I got the call to play Henry VI at the RSC, which you can argue was the biggest break of my theater career, I was temping in an office doing data entry. You know, I think the mistake a lot of artists make is that they feel I'm doing this job because I'm not working or I'm doing this job during the times I'm not working. They don't kind of understand that read anyone's story, anyone you admire this story. And you realize that surviving is part of being an artist. If you're not eating, if you don't have a roof over your head, if you don't have a place you want to go home to and write your music and learn your lines, you can't be the artist. So those jobs you do in order to have them are part of the journey of being an actor. They're not separate. They're not an, ex they're not an excuse for not being an acting. They're not an apology for not acting. They're part of allowing you to bloody act. And I think when people understand that, a, they'll find more compassion for themselves and probably find a way of not being so hard, not being so hard and being excited about the fact that I'm able to stay in one of the most expensive cities in the world, New York, by doing this job in order to pursue my dreams. And it's part of it. 
one doesn't stop. They're like a, they're like a, it's a circle. They connect to each other and support each other. And I think that's what artists, that's, that's the practical side is get over that thing of, of feeling that this is an obstacle to you working. If you weren't doing this, you wouldn't be able to make the auditions and you wouldn't be able to stay in the friggin' city, neither here nor LA or London, you know? You gotta make the money to do that. Secondly, I was doing a workshop with, uh, well, now slightly not the best name to associate, but because of what's happened, but with Kevin Spacey, I remember doing, when I was doing Richard III, with him, I played Buckingham to Richard III, and he said something really interesting in the workshop. I was leading the workshop with him to these young students, and he asked them, how many of you have acted in the last two weeks? One or two raised their hands. How many of you have acted in the last week? No one really. So certainly no one had acted in the last week. And he says, why? And they're like, well, we haven't got a gig. And he says, so why is that stopping you from acting? Why is that stopping you from reading a play? Why is that stopping you from getting together with some friends and going to watch something? And that's part of acting. Why, why, why is it only when someone gives you a job you believe you can be studying acting or being an actor or living the life of an actor? Mm. And that, stu- that stuck with me. And I said, I must pass that on whenever I talk to young people. It's not only when someone gives you a job that you're acting or that you're an actor. And you ask yourself, when, if you keep asking yourself, when was the last time I acted? You know, if you were a writer, you, you'd write, you know, you would expect yourself to write, whether it gets published or not, a certain amount of words every day, every week, every month. Just write. You do it. If you're a musician, you write. You know, so as actors, why is it we sort of wait only till that official setting of, of someone giving you a job to act, to practice our craft? And so those are two things I would say, um, Robbie, is that... Um, there are many ways to practice it. And I know sometimes when it's easy, it seems it's easy to say when you feel, well, where's the, where's the fruits of it? You know, where's the theater? Where's the agent booking me because they saw my work? You have to, it's connected. You have to be prepared. And the only way to be prepared is to practice your skill set constantly. It, it just, you just need to do that. And the second thing of what we said is, is understand that all these things you're doing in order to enable yourself to continue trying to act are part of it they're not separate from it you know those are my feelings on that yeah i love love both of those things because also going back to what you said you know when you're in that room um auditioning you need to be your best self you need to have you need to have a good home you need to have slept well you need to have eaten well you know you need to take care of yourself and you really can't do that to the best of your ability if you don't have that survival job or you don't have have that money so it really is like all focusing it's all part of of the it's the i mean it's a cliche but it really is the journey not the result it's all part of the journey all those jobs are part of the journey and you know Annie Potts, I'm good friends with Annie. Annie Potts was saying she just, when she was filming, I think Toy Story with Tom Hanks and something happened with her flight. So Tom said, okay, you can, you can come on my plane with me, <laughs> my, my jet with me. And so they're driving, this is a funny story, they're driving towards the airport and he's pointing out all the hotels he was a bellhop in, in his early years. He says, well, I was a bellhop in that one. And then I was this in this one. I mean, as you drive to his private, I mean, that's, that encompasses exactly what we're talking about. You know, I just love that story. And he is also the nicest bloody human in the world because he knows that he did all those things, remembers them and doesn't 
feel ashamed or beaten down that he had to do that, you know? Right. And then, yeah, the second thing you said, it's a muscle, like our acting. And if you don't work that, you know, and let me tell you, I, I can admit during the past eight or nine months, Mm -hmm. it's when I'm not getting, you know, one or two auditions every week, or, you know, the play that I was supposed to be in was canceled. It's hard Mm -hmm. to flex that muscle and it's hard. It's hard and trying over the past nine months, but I've been learning all the different ways, like you said, that you can do it. You know, reading a play is one way, going to a museum is another way. Do you know, like- Yeah, I mean, and also I I guess the third thing I would add to that, I can't believe I forgot because for me, certainly as you get older, for me, is the most important thing is remember you were you before you decided to be an actor. There is the whole side of you as an individual. I know what I love to do. I love to read. I love coffee shops. I love, you know, there's just certain things I love that you've got to, I mean, if you make your, one of the biggest mistakes I made early on was just think I am an actor. That's all I am. That is such a dangerous and sad way to exist because you are just a lot more than that. You were before you became an actor and you will be after the, 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 the gigs dry up. Do you know what I mean? You have to hold on to what it is that gives you joy. Is it playing the piano? Is it spending, is it walking your dog? Is it, I mean, when you become so singular that this is the only way you can be happy, it will let you down, guaranteed. It will let you down. The only way to understand that just because we have the, the incredible privilege that what we've chosen to do for a living is something we actually love, doesn't mean that is all we are. You know, it is at the end of the day, the best job in the world, but that's what it is. We exercise amazing things by doing it, but it is a job. It is, if it's the be all and end all, i.e. to act, you're in trouble. It's too transient. It's too, it's, it's not tactile and solid enough. Very few things in real life are, and certainly not art. It has to be this thing that allows you, enables you to live your best life. And that's the other stuff you do that you love. We have to remember that. You don't talk to an accountant or a lawyer and they say, oh, that's all I am. That's all I want to be doing, crunching numbers. You know, just because ours is this different sort of vocation as opposed to that doesn't mean that it has to be the all-consuming thing. So find the things that make you happy because they are really important. And for me, the, every gig I get, there's the euphoria. There's a, there's a wonderful moment of you got the gig. That for me is the best moment when you hear you've got the gig. Not because I don't enjoy doing the gig, but that is the best, most magical moment because after that, it's practical. It's a practical thing. That's the reality of it. You've perfectly put that into words, but you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. This, is, this, this answer for you probably has changed over the course of your career, but I just wonder when you, when, you know, when uh, Meg or Teresa calls you, you know, with an, with an appointment, with an audition mm-hmm. for something, let's talk about like right now, how do you decide if it's something that you're going to go in for, or if it's something that you're going to audition for? Well, that is a very, it's funny you should ask that. That's really interesting. Um, and I guess what's the dialogue with your representation like, you know, how much do they have an opinion? You know, what? How much do you talk to them about? Well, there's two kinds of emails I get from my representation when something comes in for me. If they don't want me to do it, don't think I should do it. They, they say in the email, I don't think this is for us, but we thought we have to pass it on to you. So that's very clear. That's at the beginning. Most of the things, they, it always ends with, should this interest you? 
let us know. Do you know what I mean? Which is, mm -hmm. it's your call. It's it, We're happy with it, but it's your call. And I that clause, we often forget it. But it's a clause that over the years I've gotten more and more. Even when I didn't, it's, you know, you have to fake it till you make it in a weird way, in the sense that no is one of the strongest things you can learn to say in this industry to, to go far. And you have to be able to say no and know why you're saying no, because saying no to something only opens you up for the thing you want to do or the thing that you should be doing. If you say yes, yes, yes to everything, there's just no room. There's no room to do the thing you really want to do. But it takes a very brave person who doesn't have $100 million in the bank and knowing that they will always have an, a, a stack of scripts waiting for them. It takes a brave person that doesn't know what they're going to do next and whatever that there might not be anything next and is still in the auditioning circuit to say no when an offer, a concrete offer that a lot of actors would kill for is in front of you. But I can tell you that the times I have done that, knowing that, and the times, sometimes I've done that of my own volition. Sometimes I've needed good representation. That's why I've been very blessed. They've been able to say, I know you think you want to do this, but trust there's something better is there. You need those people because sometimes it's hard when you just want to work. So I know I would say it's about 50-50 between me and them agreeing, no, I don't want to do this. And other times when I've been like, are you sure I shouldn't? And they've been like, yes, you need those people. And that's when you know you have good management because they're not just chasing the money, you know, and it's going to be scary for you. And it's fine to be scary for you because it is. But like I said, the only way the, the thing you're supposed to do arrives is if there's room for it. If you've taken yourself out of the running by doing something you don't want to do, that's never going to happen. So um, that's so the, the management is a big part of it. For me as a decision making, the biggest thing for me is I'm always interested in who's doing it. Now I'm at a stage where who's directing it. If it's a play, definitely. That's like... Because I've done so many plays that now it's like, who, 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 who would I be working with? You know, that's a big part. Together with that, I think it's the character. Even more than the play is the character. It's like, do I want to play this person? Because you can elevate a play if, the, if you know you can kill the character and if you trust the director that's going to do it with you. Then the third part is, oh God, this is such a great play. But I'm at a stage now that a great play but not great character, I probably wouldn't do it. Because I, I feel this, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but after you've done a Hamlet and an Othello and a whatever, it's very hard not to want, in theater at least, great roles. It's very hard to, to, to drop that bar in that sense. <laughs> yeah. um, in film and TV, I started technically late, around when I came here starting to focus but even then it took a, it took four years of being here of still doing shows at the park and whatever to start it's only in the last couple of years i joined out we got the meg now got we got an agent here who that was her remit she says it's time for you to do this and that's why i'm coming on board and we're doing this so tv and film maybe my selection process is a bit more of a novice and i listen to advice a lot more from them as to what to do but even then They'll, there's certain projects that I'll come through and I said, I'll go, please tell me this is a no. And they said, it's an absolute no. And so like, you, it's always a conversation. You have to trust they know you and they know what you want and where you're going. And that's how you choose. And it can't be just about the money. Yes, you go do guest star things that it's not a big commitment. You spend a week, do whatever, you take the money and run it. It sets you up for the next thing you're waiting for. But the big gigs that 
could take up a lot of your time and whatever you, you you've got to you've got you hold yourself to a certain quality because again if you say yes to that one you shut the door on the one that you really want to do so but then here's the caveat is that um sometimes i don't know i've just i can't say anything about it now because it's going to be announced and i don't think i can say it. but let me just suffice to say a big uh, uh tv thing is whatever and when i first saw the script i was like why don't they just go cast you know this isn't for me this is for the fucking they should go cast excuse my french i swore am i allowed to swear yeah? you are absolutely okay. allowed to swear. Like, I, I looked at the breakdown and said well why don't they just go cast the rock you know that's what they're looking for so i i had this back and forth answer with my whatever and then i looked at the material and they clearly thought go ahead it's this guy did i can say it's it, i can say it's james gunn directing it it's warner brothers you know it's 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 worth doing it and i read the material and of course he's a great writer and i was like oh i know what i can do with this okay so my idea of what i do or don't want to because i was like i'm so wrong for this but actually no now you have that encouragement and you look at it and you go well why would the casting director who knows you that's another thing Casting directors should know you. So if that casting director has reached out and said, "Can you? Can he? Can he come in?" There's a reason for that. They're, they're, they're auditioning too. They're not going to send duds to their employers, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I read it. I said, oh, "I know what I can do." But you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember those two rules. Is I'm not obligated and um, I'm enough. So I'm gonna do this exactly how I want to do it, and the only way this can work for me. And that's what I did. I got a, I, I sent a tape, then I got, they sent another scene for a callback, never met James Gunn. And then I got the call saying that, that skipping screen tests and stuff, he wants you. That's how it happened. And this was a gig that I almost didn't do because I was like, this is so wrong for me. It's so wrong. I've never done anything like this. This is so, so sometimes you don't know. So I would say what wraps this all around is it's a combination of knowing yourself, knowing what you want and having good people helping you make decisions because at some point the easy decision is when all of you are in agreement sometimes but sometimes you need the advice and then and back and forth and stuff and and you need them to be strong for you sometimes and there are times there are things i want to do there's another gig i i i i'm someone who likes to finish what i started and it's another gig i'm gonna um do after this which i was like i get it guys i get we might not want to take ourselves out of the run but I'm committed to this. I wanted, and so there are times when you have to decide who you are and what you want to do. And then they'll, of course, because they're there to, they'll, they'll make the best of it, get the best deal for you, make the best of it, and probably grudgingly admire the fact that you have that loyalty in an industry that there isn't that much. So it's a combination of all those things, Robbie. You know, yeah, yeah. I love that. I mean, just like our business and what we do in artistry, it's it's a collaboration. So a career and a body of work is also a collaboration. I think it's depending for for everyone, but I love what you said about, you know, collaborating with your management. And and I love that you said it's also a collaboration with the casting director. It's so crucial. It's like, that's another reason why not to think if, if you've had 15 auditions with this casting and you haven't booked, that's not a failure. The fact that you've had 15 and haven't booked is a huge success. That's them going, this kid is good. This guy, this woman is great. They can't control the director or the studio Mm -hmm. overriding the director who might want you. 
but they can what they can control is constantly bringing you in because they think you're that good and that's a success people have to remember that and if a casting director don't i mean that thing of casting yourself i almost blew this by casting myself and if that casting director knows you and they've called you in and there's some casting directors i still have not booked a job for with them but they <laughs> give me in you know and you just go stop thinking of it as letting them down or failure they know how good you are so trust that you know yeah totally i can keep talking to you all day i love everything you're saying i'm like absolutely here for it. it's amazing i um i just want to finish up with one last question i've asked a few people and i just the responses have just been interesting but i just wonder if you can take yourself back to getting out of that training program in Milwaukee and going back to the UK and, and you, you got success right away with the RSCM. It was exactly, you know, what you wanted to do and it happened for you. And then, you know, in that, in that time of your life, I guess when the success was coming, but you were still early on, what do you wish you could have told yourself about the business specifically and the, and kind of how, less about the artistry of our craft and maybe more about how the how the nuts and bolts of the business goes you know what you what you think would have been beneficial to know them i don't think the advice i would give my 23 year old self i don't think it's about the business the advice i would give myself is about me self maintenance and it goes back to what i said to you that you are more than just an actor and go easy on yourself. I'm lucky to have a great family around me. So I was always going to be grounded in, in, in the things that are important, but I, I, I beat myself up a lot. And when you say success, it's not, it's very rarely a constant trajectory. There's ups and downs. And so, uh, so I would say from that is, is something I didn't practice till 15 years later, I started really working hard on it when I was here in New York is um, equanimity, Robbie. Don't, the, the oscillations between high and low, allowing yourself to get high and low as the work and stuff happens, not good. Mm-hmm. Equanimity, I, that's the one word I would give myself in, it's like, so that's it. When I get, when things happen really great, I, 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 I'm happy for as short a time as possible, not happy. I rejoice for as short a time as possible. Then I, I quickly turn that to gratitude, understanding you've won a race. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I can, I bring it down to calm because I don't want to get that high. Because if, I'm allowed, if I let myself get that high, when things go bad, I am going to let myself get that low. And I found that I couldn't continue. It was unsustainable. Mm-hmm. up and down up so you try and find a way and that's the other things in your life that are constant whether it's your dog or your writing or you're playing the piano or you're reading your family your friend because that's it's in around that constant beautiful thing you want to live you don't want to go too far away from it either up or down so that's it i don't the business there's a million ways to get luck and get into it and i would not obsess myself trying to figure that out i would do my work but i would live my life and i would try to find that equanimity balance because that's one of the biggest things i've tried to do now and because the thing that will happen this is the funny thing is that the most quote-unquote success you get the more likely you are to have disappointments because you're playing in the super league 
and it's harder <laughs> it's a yeah. lot harder a lot more is coming at you which means there's a lot more you're not gonna get right so if you're gonna let yourself keep dropping down and forget oh you 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 wake it matt damon i saw an interview it was fascinating because i sometimes go down a rabbit hole a part of learning for me robbie is watching youtube interviews from the past you know, I love to watch them just to see what people talk about and whatever. And Matt Damon had one where he was talking about when he won the Oscar, 27 years of age. And at the end of the night and party and stuff, he went back to his apartment. His girlfriend was asleep and he slapped, he had the, the statue on the desk and he just went, and he's looking at this thing and it's a statue on the desk. And he just went, you know what? Thank God I've got this over and done with now and not when I'm 80 and, ch and spent my whole life chasing it only to come to this point, a statue that doesn't really matter. And thank God I've realized that at 27, I can just like live my life and do the work and live my life. And what a realization to have at 27. I wish I'd had that realization at 27, as opposed to that chase for so much longer, because it's, it's, it's not about that, you know? It's a piece of bad art sculpture, that's it. The work is the work is the work. And your life is your life is your life. That's the important stuff. So that's the advice I'd give is like um, equanimity. Yeah. Hey, I think that is so important because I've been there and I'm learning. I'm learning right here. I'm like, yeah, yeah. that's really good. Like let yourself have that high, but then just bring it down. And bring it down and, 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 and see for what it is. Because, you know, when that job's done, you'll be looking for another one. <laughs> as, you know, as nightfall is day, you know. Yep. Thank you so much for, for chatting. I feel like it went by so, so it fast. Such a it did go by so quickly. Why God? Yeah. 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 But I so appreciate it. So, so many important things that I just think are so, so great to hear and hearing them from someone like you is just, is just so exciting. And, um, and I'm so excited to, to follow everything that's coming for you. It sounds. Thank you so much, Robbie. I, I remember we met very briefly that, that evening. Uh, during that play and stuff. And I, I thought you had a wonderful open energy. And I mentioned that to um, Angela, then my girlfriend, now my wife. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm really glad we've connected here. And, I, and I, 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 when I see that sort of essence in a person, I go more than anything, that's the most important thing for you in this career, that you cannot, mm -hmm. you cannot let it be chipped away or, or, or um, morphed in this pursuit we have, you know? So thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. For more information on the podcast and our guests, visit thebreakdownpodcast.com and connect with us. Let us know you're listening on Facebook and Instagram at The Breakdown with Robbie. And again, if you like what you heard, help spread the word and make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thank you so much for listening, and stay tuned for another episode of The Breakdown. Ah!